Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And if you're not already a subscriber, I suggest you do so. In the meantime, you can follow us at the Rugby Dungeon, follow me at Jay Beardmore, and you can follow the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast at Rugby Podcast for all of your weekly rugby needs. Now, today's guest doesn't need an introduction, so I shan't give him one, but I will give an introduction to our sponsor, Field and Flower. Field and Flower are the providers of excellent grass-fed meat directly to your door. Go onto their website, fieldandflower.com, use our code RUGBY20, simply select the box that you want, whether it be the poultry box or the barbecue box or one of the many boxes that they offer. In fact, in fact, you can even make up your own box using a selection of 170 cuts of meat and fish. Let them know when you want it, and because you've used our code RUGBY20, you'll get 20% off your first purchase without any tie-ins, any subscriptions, any of that nastiness, just delicious grass-fed meat delivered directly to your door. Simply nothing is better than that. Well, one thing is better, and that's today's guest. So, without any further waiting, here he is. Please enjoy the podcast. How are you, James? Very well, thank you. Very well. So, just before we started on Facebook Live, uh, you gave me a little insight to exactly how busy you are. So before we really get into it, just give me a little bit of an indication of how busy your weeks actually get. Yeah, they get they get pretty busy. I mean, I don't want to pretend I'm you know uh, anything I'm not, but yeah, <laughs> I, I basically try to I, I try to always structure my everything I do around my training. So um, I learned very early on in my career, contrary to what all the um, sort of things that people have said about me about spending too much time on on um, other things. I I basically set my training times up and, and all the stuff well, with was and what we're going to do. And then I, I then basically plan my work day around that. So I make sure that I never rush out of training ground. I never, um, I never sort of, you know, try to, to skip out the door to do any appointments. So once I've done everything, so that might be icing, extra passing, core skills. Like I try to do every day, 10 to 15 minutes of some sort of core skill training. Um, and then I basically, um, will go out the door and then, my work day starts. I like to come in, have a coffee, and then I sit down at my computer. I've either got a meeting or appointment, or I'm on the train to London or whatever it might be. And you know, that's kind of centers around my health and fitness business. So mm-hmm. that might be it's obviously quite a small business. So 
managing, um, you know, book sales, coming back to people's feedback. Um, you know, obviously people, I've, I've ordered this, I've ordered that. Where's this? Where's that? Um, we sort of could take care of all that. Then there's creating the content that's running all the social media stuff. So we've got a few channels. So I'm either filming or editing stuff. Um, I kind of taught myself how to do that. And then there's the, um, other thing, little bits I do, which is, um, you know, some, some corporate speaking or, or afternoon speaking. So you're either tweaking speeches or going off and doing things. And then, um, and then there's obviously the, the beauty of being a rugby player, trying to eat four or five times a day. I'm very lucky. I've got, a, a, a sort of an awesome missus who's very good at, um, He's very good at kind of um, looking after me and helping with that side of things. So it's not something I have to worry too much about. Um, and then I, uh, and then basically, I'm trying to what else I do. And then obviously I, I'm into the DJing thing, which I know <laughs> makes your skin. <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> but, um, again, 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 it's, uh, you know, for me, of all the things I do, it's probably the thing that makes me make my hair, you know, I, I sort of let my hair down with it most. You know, I really enjoy my music. I've always used it as a tool before games. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a sports psychologist for the last sort of 12 years and one of the things we always talked about was consistency in performance and trying to get consistency in preparation. And basically, um, you often, um, you know, when I, I mean, I've, been, I've played around the world, so sometimes you're in France and you've got an 8 o'clock kickoff at night and they suddenly wake you up at 7 in the morning and you have to spend the whole day together in a room and you don't know why and it turns out it's because they're worried about your nutrition and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that can put you off. You know, you've got problems off the field, put you off. So the, the music kind of adds you a bit of consistency, really. I, I think we had a discussion over Twitter about the decks. However, I must say, I did enjoy... Who was it you were keeping up? Was it one of the Vunapola boys? Yes, Billy in... Um, where was I? When we were in uh, Sydney. Yes, that's one. I did actually find that very amusing, in fairness. Yeah, no, Billy, the thing is, again, I take those decks around me. It keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> uh, you, you, the thing with me is that... I, you spend a lot of time, and we live in a world at the moment where um, you know professional sportsmen, I think, are, are being encouraged to do more outside of rugby, and I think that's that's, that's huge, mm-hmm. you know, or outside of sports. I think we got to a point where old school kind of purists were like, "Listen, you should be focusing on this. You should be focusing on that," and very, you know, kind of a bit ill-informed. You know, it's one of those things where I, I post something up on my social media, you get loads of comments going, "Oh, you know, I post a video of me doing something in the gym." Lo and behold, you get. 10, 15 people go, you should be spending all your time passing and doing this kind of stuff. And you're like, well, listen, I can't film myself passing because we're both holding the ball. You know what I mean? And we can set a camera up, but it's not as easy as someone taking a quick clip on a on a phone of you doing stuff. You know, until you learn how to pass yourself um, or got one of them sort of ricocheting uh, trampoline things, it's a bit difficult. And it's the same thing with doing things outside of rugby. But I think slowly we've realized that as the physicality of the game's increased, um, and the shortening of careers and the demands outside and the fact that, yes, money's good, but it's not enough to retire on. You've got to find other stuff to do that players me encouraged you more outside. And one of the things I've found is that I turned a hobby of DJing into something that I get paid to do. I get to go to some wicked places. You know, who doesn't – I like attention. Who doesn't want to stand in front of a room of, of you know, a thousand, a thousand students, a thousand people dropping good tunes. Everyone's having a good time. Um, you know, I, I, I get the thrill of doing that, and it's kind of a bit like playing rugby. You kind of get the the crowd adoration. You get to do something. I never score any tries. <laughs> I never <laughs> do anything that the crowd really like. So I then, you know, get that kind of thing. So it's all part and parcel, really, of all the different kind of things I end up doing. Yeah, I've seen something on Facebook actually. Are you playing somewhere in Oxford, Bullingdon or something? 
Uh, I don't know. I have to. <laughs> it's going to sound really shitty. I'm going to have to speak speak to my DJ agent. <laughs> really irritate you and find out what 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 I'm doing. But I think I'm doing something at Oxford Brooks. Maybe I think something. you are. Yeah. Uh, I I uh, I got the I got the Facebook invitation for it uh, this afternoon. So uh, you're definitely doing something, James. Uh, well, the thing is, that's what I mean. Uh, the, the best thing is, there's obviously a lot of people who take great comfort in my, um, either my misfortune or me putting my foot in it or doing cheesy things. What they forget with all this kind of stuff is that there's obviously like a, you know, it's always a commercial angle to everything. You're always having a good time sharing stuff. So, you know, people are, are eager to show what I'm doing, but they forget that I really enjoy what I'm doing. And if going down to Oxford DJing will be something very different than spending two to three hours you know, or sorry, two to three sessions every day, training, all the, you know, the Monday, anything of that, all the other work stuff. For me, it's like a, a complete respite going on DJing. Well, tell me about something which I know you're really into. T- tell me about your health and fitness business. Yeah, so the health and fitness business was an interesting one. I moved to New Zealand and I was sitting um, in my living room and, I, and obviously Twitter had sort of been around for a little bit and I started tweeting some pictures of what I was eating and I just got onto Instagram and people started getting really interested. So I thought to myself, look, I've got a bit of time on my hands. Um, I'd, I'd done a few business things with my old man. We'd done a few little things here and there. And I decided what I would do is I'd set up a, a website. So I, I taught myself how to use that blogger um, tool that I think Google I've got or whatever. And I set up a website and I started posting things. And within three months, we'd had something like 200,000 views or something on, on, a, on a non-existent um, website that I kind of built myself and we went from there and I started talking a little bit more about fitness and that was where body fire kind of was born yeah and we went through and we did loads of stuff and, and then I decided to create a supplement range off the back of it uh, because I looked around at different supplements that people were saying and there was so much crap written about it and kids were going for supplements first and foremost as opposed to stuff about diet and I was always hammering my diet so I went down um, creating a pre-trainer that I wanted to take before games because you know, in international level or wherever it is, or club level, you're, there's lots of varieties of things you can take before the game, like caffeine or you know, some people drinking Red Bull and some people are having this and having that. So I kind of went out there and looked at it, spoke to a company, created my own product, and that started to build success. And then, and then we looked at, you know, went through an exercise and kind of rebranding, mm-hmm. uh, which is great for me kind of business-wise. You know, as everyone, you start with a concept and you kind of realize that perhaps – where you started from isn't where you are now and, and the best laid plans, etc. So we created James Haskell Health and Fitness, which was a lot cleaner, a lot more simpler. Um, we sold all our supplements for relaunching those kind of things. And the idea of the content was to kind of give people professional level advice, but broken down that it was applicable to anyone. So we, we I wrote the rugby book, um, which you know, I was getting asked every day. Now I'm talking about every day I would get, I still get today, Instagram messages, Facebook messages, and I know people get bored. They're like, oh, you know, you're posting too much of this, posting too much of that. But I, I, when people stop sending me the same question, which is, hi, my name's Tom. You know, I want to, um, you know, stand out in a trial. I've got a thing coming and I want to get bigger and I want to do this. And what supplements do you like? So I then create this rugby book, which is kind of a one-stop shop, which is encouraging kids to get out the gym, get onto the rugby field, practice your passing, practice, your, you, you know, your core skills. If you were going to go in the gym, this is what you need to worry about. If you want to stand out in a trial, it's not about being the biggest. <clears throat> you know, it's about having those skills. Some of those powerful people in the world are some of the smallest people. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the kind of stuff. Where if you're going to eat, this is what you need to eat. If you're going to do supplements, this is what you need to do. But you need to understand diet. And I kind of created this um, this rugby book, and that sold really well, and and, and uh, getting some amazing feedback. And then I kind of 
was a bit reluctant about it, but I wrote a 12 week training plan for people to get to build muscle because, you know, there's no point talking to me talking about fat loss. I mean, I spend enough time posting photos of myself with a shirt off. I mean, I might as well <laughs> share, uh, share some of the things. Well, just out of interest, how much time do you spend in the gym? And obviously, you're a professional rugby player. But how much of your gym work is focused towards just the rugby stuff? And how much is, you know, well, actually the health and fitness side, just generic health and fitness? So, okay. So basically, in terms of doing anything that's aesthetically based, so i.e. Yeah. me trying to look like, well, well you know, I'm not saying I do, but trying to look like a health, health, um, a men's health cover model or trying to get bigger or smaller, none of it okay. is, is at all. So, so um, I eat really well. And, um, you know, I work with my Mrs. Chloe Maley and I work with um, a guy called Matt Lovell, nutritionist, and they've really helped me with my nutrition the last three months because I got a bit fat after my, before my operation, just because I knew I wanted a target to come back. So I've eaten really well and, but everything is really focused around trying to make me the best rugby player. So in season, if I was playing on a Sunday, um, you know, a Monday would be, or sorry, let's play a Saturday, keep it simple. Sunday would be a day off. Mm. Monday. I may do um, a little bit of lower body weights. Um, so that will be just, you know, keeping a bit of strength in the legs um, and everything else. You'd probably on, on a Tuesday, um, you would have a double session. So you may have a bit of like fitness top up, which involves some kind of like sled pushing, pulling, some, some basic body weight stuff. Uh, your Wednesday would be off. Your Thursday would be a, a power session. With um, For me, it would just be a couple of exercises and then um, some core skills. And that's it. So none of those sessions would be that long. And every session I would do a lot of mobility in it. So I spent a lot of time doing banded stretching work, banded mobility work, trying to, you know, in my old age, get myself a little bit more mobile, keep myself loose. Um, and then, you know, everything about that kind of training is supposed to make me a, um, a better rugby player. So slightly more powerful, a little bit more explosive, um, you know, working on getting into low positions over the ball, working, being able to, you know, get off the floor quickly, um, having that strength across the range, but also being mobile um, with it. Okay, so uh, so aesthetically, you don't really do anything. It just comes along with the fact that you're training very, very hard, very, very hard for rugby, and your diet's pretty clean. Yeah, so so basically, <clears throat> I, I I didn't get into. I trialed for England under 16s when I was at school. I didn't get in. Um, I was very disappointed. Uh, you know, at that age, it was just probably uh, before academies had been set up with clubs and um, they kind of, you know, were trying to gear you up for professional sport and they gave you sort of a handbook to go and do training. And I basically didn't do any of it. Um, you know, I kind of sort of, you know, was bullshitting myself really. Did the trial. I got to the final trial. I wasn't particularly good at rugby. I was quite tall and skinny and I didn't really, um, you know, there was no surprise. And I, but obviously, as a young guy, devastating to me. And I thought, oh, this is the end of it. You know, my old man kind of sat me down. I was like, so you can see it as disappointment. You can see it as an opportunity. And one of our one of our family friends was a, um, a personal trainer, a guy called Henry. Um, he would come in twice a week at school and train with me. Um, and I basically started training from the age of sort of 16. Um, and I started training, you know, while other guys were out chasing birds and, and, and sort of, you know, you know, drinking beers, buying the bike sheds. I was out training. I, I wouldn't, I would you kind of become a little bit obsessed with it. I, I kind of taught me my workaholic uh, mentality now. You know, he'd come in and be running up hills in the rain and sort of very Rocky-esque style thing. Mm -hmm. And I basically built quite a big frame out of that period of time. And he would bring me three chickens in that he'd get cheap from Tesco, you know, as they're throwing them out at the end of the night and I'd be eating them and all that kind of stuff. So I basically... 
um, trained really hard uh, for that period of time. I got into England under 18s, and then you know my first sort of time with Wasps was um, uh, with Warren Gatlin. Sean Edwards Warren was very keen on big players. You know, yeah. we were the first club that um, employed uh, proper S&C guys. All the backs and all the forwards were doing very different things. We were working very hard. And, and Warren was obsessed with getting me and Tom Reese as big as he possibly could um, because that was a game they wanted to play. And then, you know, we, we had those sort of, I think it was five to ten years of winning everything because we were ahead. And we basically, interesting enough, all the trainers that we had, so I think we had ten guys, all of them dispersed out, slowly left Was and are now head of conditioning in different clubs around the world. And around the Premiership and around everyone else, and people don't really know that they haven't tracked it back. But kind of Wasps was the mothership for kind of all these trainers and set the standard for all this kind of conditioning oh. and rugby. Now, now everybody is as fit and everybody is strong, and that's why the pre- Premiership so attritional is that everybody's doing the same sort of stuff now. But but in those period of time, that's why we were ahead of the game. And Warren pr- prided himself on being the biggest and the fittest. And, and so that's why I look like I do. Um, but I spend now in my, my, you know, in my sort of latter years, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I don't spend any time doing body weight stuff. Like, I mean, listen, if you're on holiday with the missus or, you know, you're doing something fun, you want to do a fun session, who doesn't want to do a bit of beach weights? But the fact is I track all my calories every day. I eat really well. But, you know, being able to bench press 200 kilos doesn't make you a good rugby player. Being able to squat 200 kilos doesn't make you a good rugby player. Mm. And everything's done is about trying to be a good rugby player. So I kind of have to bite my tongue when people go, oh, you know, you're too big. You're spending too much time in the gym. I'm like, listen, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm spending all my time trying to improve my core skills. You know, like I've got people come in even now, you know, I've got um, a guy coming to Wasps once a week to put extra passing, extra skills with me. You know, I spend a lot of time and have done my lots of my own money working with some really good trainers outside, um, of the club getting the best physios, getting the best everything I can do just because you only get one career. And people don't really see that. They just see me <laughs> standing there with my top off or doing something stupid, you know? It's strange, it's strange to mention that. I'm sure I heard you in an interview saying once that in when you were at Stade Francais, you were coming back to London for either training or physio. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, once a week I'd come back and see a guy in London called Kevin Nidlow. Um, he, yeah, yeah, I would. I always, I mean, I've seen him my entire career. Um, I used to train with Margot Wells. I used to go and train with a guy called Phil Learning. I train with a guy now called Travis, Travis Allen, who does, you know, a bit of this muscle activation therapy and some other bits and bobs. And, you know, I got, I've, I, I once, you know, I, I got was in Zambrook to come into Wasp once and sit down and went through video with him. And, I, you know, I, I've, Sadly, I've tried many times to get Richie McCaw to kind of help me with some stuff, but he pretends I never ask. Like, he's, he's had, he's had to talk about like how thick, normal life. But every time I ask him or have asked him in the past, I've stopped now. You know, can, can you get any, get any help? Got any drills? He pretends I never asked the question. So, uh, out of interest, um, what's your view on all this new um, movement-based exercise? Uh, what, what's his name? There's some some Portuguese fella who's out there teaching Conor, oh, Conor McGregor to me. Stuff with Conor McGregor and all this kind yeah. of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one because, you know, I, I, I subscribe to a thing. Um, uh, I read a book, a very good book called The Supple Leopard. Which That's is, the one, yeah. Yeah, so it does a whole lot of mobility stuff and everything else like that with bands. I hate static stretching. I can't do it. I, it actually makes me worse if I spend hours trying to hold positions because, you know, my, my mobility and everything else is not great. It's not good enough to get, you know, to get in a position I end up just – hanging off the muscle instead of actually stretching it. So I found the banded stuff he did um, a little bit better. This, um, I can't think what his name is. I know exactly who it is. He, um, mm, he's interesting. And I think I would, I, I think you can really benefit from that kind of stuff. But I think there's no, 
there's no perfect solution. I think with with training and in life, uh, without you know trying to be philosophical with you or trying to teach you any of this or anything, you know, if you're the only people who have finished learning and finished getting better are those in the grave. You know, as a player and as as a person, you could always look to improve, and that's my that's my philosophy. You've got to filter out a lot of crap. But I would, you know, I would definitely try and have an opportunity to work with him or do some stuff because I think, you know, being able to get in good, strong positions and being able to kind of have a bit of flow when you're moving and be be focused is great. You know, how much of the translation over to rugby, um, you know, uh, I don't know. But I think for me, I certainly found the mobility work and a bit of animal flow, which is another kind of thing, is quite good. Yeah. But I've also been, you know, this is another bugbear of mine. I just feel like I'm doing my agony on here. But I, I... I post stuff on online, right? So I post a video of me squatting and my technique. And people write underneath, oh, you're squatting, not, you're not good, you know, arse to grass, you do this, you do that. What people forget is once you've been doing something for a certain time, your body kind of sets in a way. And you can then obviously learn to to be more mobile. But if you're ever teaching someone to squat, for example, you don't if they can't get low or they can't get into position because they've got terrible posture, you don't force them into that position because they start engaging different muscles, bending their back, doing everything else. Right, and it's the same thing with certain things. You can only work to the ability you have, and then look to improve those, improve those things. So, you know, I'm 31 years old. I've been training since I was 15. Uh, I've played God knows how much rugby, and I was playing 40 games a season at Stade Francais. So, you know, my body is is what it is. I have to manage what I've got, and you know, without taking a whole year out and going to work with these people and dedicating every day, my job is to get the shit kicked out of me every day. You know, training's attritional every day. You know, it takes you two days to recover after a game. Um, you've got, you kind of got to be open-minded. You've got to kind of focus on the now and then focus on where you want to get to. Yeah, uh, just a quick one then on the conditioning and uh, focusing on your uh, on your body. You mentioned before that you keep a very close track on your calories, and you also alluded alluded to it for, uh, before about getting uh, about getting fat. Did you actually plan get getting fat then? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. So, so what I, what I, I'm, I've never gone maybe the most I've ever gone probably without doing any training was a week ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, you know, that was something, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, probably a bit mental, but, um, probably a week. So what I did was I went to Ibiza with my girlfriend. Yep. I was in my mood. We still, I still trained with her. We still trained. We had fun. We did like underwater pool swimming sessions and a bit of stuff in the gym. Yep. I then ate and drank what I wanted. Um, you know, put my feet up. Uh, you know, had whatever I wanted to do, and then I had the operation, and I kind of had four, four, five weeks of where I wasn't doing anything, and subsequently, just because I was eating and everything else, I got into a not the best shape. Yeah. But when I found when the last time I had surgery on my knee, I find that if you look at the big picture of you trying to get back and playing, it's very daunting, can be quite depressing, and not great. Well, you're going to set yourself mini goals. So I said to myself, look, I'm going to let my hair down because I'm going to have six months of horrific training. I might as well enjoy everything, get to a point where I don't really care, and then start again. So that's what I did. I didn't. I didn't purposely get fat. Yeah, because I've got to say, it I happened. Was... I... Oh, so, uh, sorry, James, you just cut, cut out a bit there. Uh, no, so sorry. As as on your Instagram, and you posted a picture of yourself in um, in a towel. Uh, not yeah. that I was, you know, looking at that. Uh, but um, well, <laughs> but uh, well, it, I I was actually shocked. I actually thought you were. It was some sort of. Um, you know, app or, you know, yeah, ge- yeah. generator. The, I was shocked. All the lads said that. All the lads, I'm obviously, I've obviously come across as such a commercially minded git that they thought I had photoshopped my own body using a fat app and then gone there. I hadn't. 
that was obviously wasn't great lighting was was you know um end of the day but yeah i mean i was about 124 kilos then um so uh yeah yeah and i just used it as a starting point so no i didn't i didn't photoshop myself i didn't try and deceive myself it's not like one of those transformations you see in muscle magazines where the bloke falls five <laughs> foot two in one picture and, the, and, he, and he's seven foot five completely tanned in the other you know just mo- just moving on slightly the england squad was was announced today now a bit of um rugby trivia or a trivia question that you could ask someone is which player has played for eddie jones warren gatlin michael chaka um just trying to think, trying to think of some others now. Uh, J- uh, Jamie Joseph. Well, it'd be yourself. Now, England have got a policy at the moment of not picking players not based in England. But I would argue you are the perfect example of a player not based in England or previously not based in England who has benefited tremendously fr- from that experience. Do you think more players should do what you did and you know experience different rugby in different leagues? Well, first, Jamie, that's the first time anyone said me I'm a shining example of anything. <laughs> uh, well, have, people have said I'm a shining example of something else. And I, I, my favourite, my favourite ever line about this sort of stuff was someone once put a picture, uh, a comment under a picture of mine. It said, uh, the, "The biggest um, problem with English rugby can be summed up in two words." <laughs> and they said James Haskell. And then someone, and someone the other day commented on something saying. Uh, what was it? Something about, oh, they, they were being quite nice. They were going, oh, it's really um, difficult to see that he's injured, but he's the worst player I've ever seen. And, and, and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, cheers. Um, <laughs> that. But no, um, I, think, I think people would benefit. I, I, I think it's a very difficult situation. You've got to, you understand why uh, the rules are, are like they are. I, I was very lucky because I, I only missed, I think I missed the Six Nations and, a, and a, an Autumn Internationals. Yeah. Um, when I was there, I mean, I missed a couple because of being injured, but I, I actually, while I was being away, I kind of timed it all right when there was a bit of sort of confusion, obviously, before Stuart Lancaster came in. Um, I, I think, look, players definitely need to benefit from it. It's amazing how many um, older players have come up to me and said, um, you know, said to me, look, uh, I wish I'd done that. What a great opportunity. I had no idea that, you know, the world was like that, rugby was like this. And people have done it in their sort of, the, the latter parts of their career when it's been very difficult. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think guys should do it. I think it's an amazing uh, thing culturally. I think if you're not involved in the England squad and you want to go out there and do something and learn, then that's great. And I think more players should definitely do it and look into it. I think that, you know, we have a lot of players in this country who sort of sit in the mm. second teams or on the, on the cusp and don't get as much rugby as they should do. And you only learn from playing. You know, you can do all the training you want, but it doesn't really prepare you for the rigours of of the Premiership, let alone international rugby. So I think there's many an opportunity to be had, really. Yeah, I wonder if the RFE missed a trick here. Because I think when you came back, you were a better player than when you left. I don't think that you would disagree. And I wonder if there should be like I know, some sort of sabbatical rather than saying we need to keep all the players here all, all of the time, regardless of what stage of their career they're in. Yeah, I, I just think that you know the rules are the rules, and my, my my comment on whether they should be changed or not is not really here or there. People yeah. with higher powers and sort of you know with far more responsibility than me make a decision. I, I all I can say is that I benefited. I feel that um, I think players would benefit from it. I think playing Super Team was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, you know, going out to Japan was awesome. Just culturally and, and, and as a person, just exploring the world. You know, we live in a, a very interesting world. You've got kids now who are coming out of school 
and coming out of rugby clubs who are far more attuned to professional sport than, than I ever was and everyone was before. They watch everything, they see everything, they know everything, um, you know, and going over there and trying to explore different cultures and, you know, and try different things because everybody, obviously the rugby world, wants to be a professional rugby player, but there's no rhyme or reason why one player makes it and another player doesn't. Some of the best, most talented players fall by the wayside. You know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of chance in there. Some of the best players, I know, I know two fantastic players, you know, two guys that I play at club rugby with, a guy called Will Loudon, um, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember the bloke's other name, obviously a really good friend, oh, Alex Greer, sorry. And, um, you know, those are two of the best players I, I played with as a young age, but they both got injured, both weren't able to, to play. And kids now, you know, need to explore stuff. They need to be rounded. You know, any kid who says to me, I want to be a professional sportsman, or a parent says to me, I want it, my son's going to be a rugby player. It's like, listen, fine. But let them be more all-rounded. Make sure they try all the other sports. Make sure they do the schoolwork. Make sure they do that because you never know what's going to happen. And I think going to a different country, playing a couple of times, you know, instead of going on a gap year, playing, you know, abroad, playing in these different places will teach you stuff. And you come back a far more rounded person with a bit more life experience. Well, which of your uh, foreign, foreign adventures did you enjoy the most? Do you know what? I enjoyed all of them, but in, in very different ways. You know, I loved being at Stade Francais. You know, we played five games a season at the Stade de France. I got to play with Sergio Parise and Dimitri Sarzeski and Hernandez and all these kind of guys. And every week was a huge kind of European Cup game for us, or mm. as you would see, we were playing the Premiership. Um, you know, Super 15 was amazing because I kind of went over there and I, and I was concerned, like everybody else, that I needed to suddenly develop a you know, an out-the-back-door no-look pass or I need to develop you know, a kick, kick, which I thought was a bit out of my depth with. Um, you know, to find that rugby is rugby wherever you go and that actually, for me, the biggest dividing factor, especially in New Zealand, was that uh, first and foremost, everybody wants to be an all-black. Over here, everybody wants to be a reality TV star, famous or a footballer. Um, you know, no, nobody will all run a podcast, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, you know, and so... But that was a massive element. You know, their first reaction is to pick up a ball to play touch. You know, their local club rugby is as important as their, you know, their proper club rugby. So um, that for me was really kind of it, it was interesting. I think they've got better weather over there, or, or they've got better surfaces consistently. So it means that you're encouraged to play better rugby. They don't have relegation, which means that you know that you can play a brand of rugby and develop it over a couple of years. You don't have to worry about getting you know pied off. Um, whereas here, you know, you try to play expansive rugby at King's home in January, uh, you know, you'd have to be, I don't know, a team of Dan Carters to, to make that happen. Yeah. Um, so that, so I think that was very, very good and very eye opening for me. And then Japan was wicked culturally, um, very good. Um, you know, they're, they're so committed over there. Obviously you work for all the big companies. So every big company has players. It's great. You know, it's interesting to see you've got 12 professionals. The rest of them are employees of the company. They still have that amateur feel to it. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're unbelievable tacklers over there. Every team kind of has a couple of superstars, mate. And you get, you get a couple of massive, um, you know, uh, Pacific Islanders, um, you know, getting on Asian passports or always ending people. It's like, it, it was very tough. You know, it, 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 and that was great. You know, one minute you're training, then you're going to look at um, temples on the on your days off. So that for me was was incredible. Uh, were you with the Black Rams? Have I got that right? Yeah, I, I was with Marnonu as well, which is good. That yeah, uh, I actually remember now. Um, so what did you do during the day there? Because officially everyone is employed. So some guys are on the payroll, as in working, doing the pay slips, and then yeah. I guess you guys were full time. Is, is that how it all worked? 
Yeah, what we were so we were full time, but when I first signed, I worked for Rico, the Black Ram. So I basically um, had to become an employee of Rico. My dad did make sure, my agent made sure that if I didn't make the team, I wouldn't be assembling photocopiers because um, that was <laughs> a little concern. Um, but we, yeah, so I, but we would train every day. So we would have our sessions and do weights and do everything else and have a normal week like we had over here. Yeah. But um, the beauty for me was that I lived because. All my experience had been so different and, and actually different again in Coventry. I mean, you know, we've got, kind of gone <laughs> London, Paris, Japan, New Zealand, now Coventry. Uh, I suppose it's supposed to be New York probably on the end of that. But um, Yeah, I hope so. And we went to, um, you know, when I lived in Japan, it was my first kind of taste of living right next to a training ground. Because in Paris, I lived right near the Arc de Triomphe. You know, we trained in, in, uh, um, in Boulogne. It was... You know, you drove into work every day. You obviously drove past some amazing architecture. In Japan, I lived a 10-minute bicycle ride from the training ground. So it was the first time that I was living and breathing rugby, living next door, living next to the players, you know, understood how the camaraderie was because WASP back in the day, again, I never lived in London. I was always all over the place. Turn up, train, have a coffee with the lads, and go. You know, in Japan, you were kind of right next to the training ground, so you would spend a bit more time there. You would be a bit more leisurely with your recovery and icing and, and everything else. You'd pop home for lunch, um, all that kind of stuff. So that was great for me. And then New Zealand, you know, in, in Dunedin, you're 10 minutes from everywhere. So that was really easy. You know, I went shooting and fishing and all that kind of and all that kind of stuff. And, and then back at Wass in Coventry now, I'm not far from the training ground. You know, we've got, we've, we're 30 minutes from everywhere up here. Um, it's kind of worked out quite nice as well. Yeah, I mean, you just alluded to Wasps going from London to Coventry. Who would have thought that going from London to Coventry would be the start of what is basically a great renaissance for a brilliant club? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because when, when we had um, the move was announced, right, obviously everyone shit their pants and went completely mental, not the players, but obviously all the fans and the public and everyone else, because it's human nature, we hate change. And um, I remember going in and fronting this, um, fronting this meeting with the fans. I'd heard that the... Um, chief executive and someone else in there and they were getting bombarded with abuse and uh, you know unlike um, i'm never one to shrink away from an opportunity i thought i'd go in there so i stood up there and i spoke to fans and i remember some people saying you know you've left us here and we said no we haven't we let you know we're sitting on buses we're sorting all this kind of stuff out and the other people like, i hope you're like going to play in an empty stadium and i'm like this we're not going to play in an empty stadium mate They're like well we'll see i was like we're not it's, we're not it's not going to happen so we you know we went through all this kind of stuff and then as soon as we moved up here, you know, we had an average gate in the first year of 17,500. Um, you know, we went from 4,000 people at Adams Park. Uh, every we got, we got something like 10p, or might be 20p, out of every pound sold on that day. So every so to hold a game, we were losing money. We made no money from anything. We were losing two to three million quid a year. Um, and, you know, we spent 10 years, or the 10 years I was there, trying to build a stadium. We looked everywhere. We tried to do everything. High Wickham blocked all the plans. Everything was a complete and utter shambles. We had some great owners, but every one of them obviously couldn't stomach, you know, a two to three million pound loss every year. When no. um, Derek came in and it's, and it's been brilliant for us. The Rico is an incredible facility. Um, you know, great match day experience. The boys love playing it. Teams love coming to play there and, and playing. Um, you know, I'd had a little taste of it in the, in the uh, Heineken Cup. Uh, I think quarterfinals or semifinals against Northampton um, about six, seven years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been really good up here. I've absolutely loved it. As a player, were you aware of the financial... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Situation of wasps. Did, did, it, did, it, run, did it rub off on, uh, on the players in the, in the darker days, shall we say? So, so, well, so in, it, when I was at wasps, First time around, I knew that we had problems with, with finances because we always had a fantastic on the field record, but we didn't have the off field infrastructure. We didn't really have, we didn't understand, you know, how to, you know, how to maximize the fact that, you know, we got to finals, we filled Twickenham with 80,000 people, but it didn't translate to Adams Park. You know, mm. the match day experience at Adams Park was terrible. Um, when we never had the commercial nows to, to manage that or create any kind of money off the field. So we knew that was a problem. We knew owners were losing all the time. And then when I came back the second time round, you know, we had uh, we obviously had Steve Hayes, who's a great guy, who you know, who tried his best for the um, club, but obviously, you know, to blame him he was losing X amount of money. It, it wasn't, you know, it what didn't make any business sense. He wanted out of the situation. Um, we actually had a guy who came in who was a bit of a Walter Mitty, uh, but uh, because he was a complete nutter, it meant that he bought us a lot of time until we met Derek. You know, some days we didn't get paid. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a few bits like that. I remember, I, I remember going in telling the bloke that I was going to fill him in unless he paid my money. Um, obviously, in like a tongue-in-cheek way, but also in a if you don't pay him, I will fill you in way. Yeah. Um, so um, there was a few times with that, and I, you know, I still to this day don't know. I think it was robbing this bloke was robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like I don't know how it was how he was doing it, but anyway, he kept us afloat. And then Derek kind of come riding in over the over the hill like a white knight and, and sort of set set the record straight and obviously I think most mostly when we first took we got into WAS, I think, you know, people were opening up filing cabinets and finding all sorts of skeletons there and all sorts of everything. But they you know, Derek came in, fixed the whole situation and then, you know, looked to make the business viable. And the only way to make it viable was to build your own stadium. And we tried, got no permission and then we and then the uh, the Rico Arena became available and then the rest is history as 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 we've said. Yeah. I can only imagine how grateful you are for that move because overnight you've gone from a good team, you know, a good solid team, especially when Andy Dude took uh, uh, showed up and started nailing points. So <laughs> really world class team there. Do you say nailing points or nailing pints? Nailing points. <laughs> uh, all pies. It was either nailing pints, pies, or points, but he was probably getting all three of them. Yeah, probably. I bet I would never be uh, so disrespectful to Doody. I'm sure he lets his boots <laughs> do the talking. The good father. Yeah, exactly. the good he stitched me up the day. He called me on some podcast thing, and I was really nice to him. Now, hang on. Uh, we don't talk about other podcasts here, James. Oh, is it like Fight Club? Oh. Never talk about... Uh, all right, all right, all right. Sorry. Well, we can talk about when, when I when I create my world-beating podcast, and, and it's so big that you guys, are, I'll promise to invite you on there and give you a shout-out. Well, yeah, that that is... It. 
that is a danger, but at the moment, it's a bit like Gangs of New York, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's fine. It's fine. I promise not to come and. Well, I, mean, I don't know where you guys live. I mean, I didn't. I, I couldn't. As I said to you on Twitter, I couldn't work out who was mugging me off. Who, who was Ru? Obviously, you were very nice and said you, you know, you were a fan. And then, and then obviously, all these like people from um, uh, Egg Chase podcast, like they, they always talk you up. They really like you. So I was like, all right, everyone, calm down. Fuck, I just said, I just said, are oh, you guys mugging me off? What's the problem with the DJ thing? And then, it, and it turned out that. You happen to be some fans of mine, which is a rare thing because I only thought my parents and my girlfriend were fans, and she's mo- she's half a fan most of the time, and she can't stand me. So I just you know, yeah. one of those things. Unfortunately, James, I think you suffer from I think you suffer from the fact that rugby fans, in general, are quite good people, but rugby mm. is a very difficult game to play. And I also think that because of that, a lot of people don't play it, and you get this very strange brand uh, brand of kind of. Eat a male, blogger, slash, never at all. He's never actually played. And that's always where you get the snarky remarks from. Every time. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I'm a bit like Marmite. You either, you either love me or you hate me. So I don't lose any sleep over it. I just, I'm not one of these people who can bite my tongue. You know, people are always like, oh, the worst thing is someone stitches you up and they put that emoji of um, a bloke catching a fish. And I'm like, I don't know what the confusion is. I'm always going to bite. Like, I'll always come after you. Like, that's why when people sort of a bit rude to me in the street sometimes. I think they think I'm just going to laugh it off, but I'm always like, sorry, what did you say? Yeah. And then, you know, so I'm not particularly forthright normally about my opinion, but it's, um, I think I've got a reasonable level of self-awareness. It's just quite funny sometimes if I entertain it. I, I can never genuinely work out who's being nice and, and, you know, who's trying to stitch me up. But, you know, obviously you guys have turned out to be very nice. Unless yeah. this is some sort of stitch up oh, yeah. that I haven't worked out yet. Oh, this is very elaborate. Very elaborate indeed. It's a very elaborate scheme. So, do, do you often get um, that that sort of uh, grief on um, on the street in person? Because I imagine it's a lot easier to give uh, a guy who's six six five to uh, one hundred and twenty kilos grief over Twitter than it actually is in real life. Yeah, I do, no, but it's normally what it is. It's the veiled, uh, it's the veiled thing. Some came up to me the other day, and went, "Oh, I met uh, you, James Askell." I went, "Yes." He went, "I just want to tell you one thing." Oh, right. No. I thought for a long time that you were a prick. Uh, but what I, what what I saw in Australia and uh, what you've done recently, uh, I just want to say I really like you now and thank you very much. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> that's very that's very kind of not. I, I don't really know. So I'm always very polite. Like I don't I don't ever lose my shit. But I mean, it's just I had a thing with um, some Coventry fans. They they <laughs> Coventry City fans. I turned up at a game on sat on, on a Saturday once, and um, they kind of a few of them costed me and were like blaming me for the fact that they they. Had, had something wrong with their their team or whatever, and they're telling me that we'd lost all that we left all our real fans behind, and you know we were traitors and what you know we used to be London wasps and all this kind of stuff, and that I was at you know that we were mugs and everything else. And I, I was literally like listening to this, and I just obviously normally would let it slide, but I hadn't played rugby for a while. I was on crutches, so I was a bit annoyed. And I just said to the bloke, oh, "What? So what are you talking about?" And he's like, "Oh, we left all your real fans." I said, no, we haven't. Mate. We've got seventy and a half thousand fans. Well, you're a London club. I went, "No, we're not. We never. We haven't played in London for years." It was going on. He goes, "Well, you're, you know, you're talking like a mug." I went, "Mate, I think you're. I think you're the one that's conducting yourself like a mug." Mug. And some other bloke. It was bear in mind. It was like winter and it was raining. Um, wearing sunglasses, shouted over. Well, you know, why are you being rude to him? He's a fan of yours. You're a oh, mug. Or something. No. You're wearing sunglasses in the rain. So shut up. No one cares about your opinion. So there was like, you know. I mean, anyone who sunglasses in the rain, unless you're Jay Z, I tell or, you what, I, I'm just so glad that he wasn't blind because that would be that would be a headline immediately. Right, but that would be me. That would that would be something I would do. And do you know what? I, I wouldn't have. Um, he might have. He did have a white stick and a dog. Is that normal? Do you have that when you're blind or not? I, I, I don't know. Touch and go. Maybe. 
I don't listen. I promise you, zero fucks would have been given because the bloke was rude to start with. And, and to be fair, I think he wasn't blind because he shouted right in the right direction. So we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. I, I don't. You might have been. But anyway, I, I patted his dog. Section five. Yeah, probably pretending to get a free parking space. Probably, probably. We've all done that. Well, Joke. It... <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> well, uh, it's interesting you mention that. Um... The, that, the the original guy was saying, oh, well, that England performance, and now I absolutely love you. You, you must feel that after the Tour of, tour, tour of Australia, you, you're getting a lot more love. I, well, I mean, I think the England team are getting all, a, a lot more love. I mean, I, you know, I played a small part in that, and I, well, I mean, you know, I'm really... I mean, you could argue your performance is probably a defining performance of the entire tour. <laughs> I mean, nice. I'm about to argue it. Well, listen. I, I, very nice of you to say so. I, I don't deal very well with compliments, so I, I, I will. I'll take that board. And I, I very appreciate the kind words. I mean, from my perspective, look, I love playing for England. Um, you know, any opportunity to do and all that stuff in at the start. You know, I talked about all the things I do off the field has all been to try to make me a, a better player. You know, the, the best thing in the world is running out at Twickenham, pulling on that white shirt. You know, being recognised as the best player in your position, and, and it becomes addictive. Um, so I love working under Eddie Jones. I love you know Paul Gustard and the coaches and, and, and Steve Borthwick. Um, I you know I enjoy you know everything that goes with that rugby. And and for me, coming back from Australia, I think people have been really nice. I think it's always important as a player to, to again to keep that consistency. Don't get overexcited. Don't start rating yourself. Don't start underrating yourself. If people are nasty, kind of be consistent. Know that you're trying to do what you're trying to do but I've been really overwhelmed by how many people have come up to me and shaken my hand and said what you boys did on tour or what I did on tour was really impressive I take it because it's always nice to be spoken nicely to and what's the most important factor for me is that I think we you know as I've alluded to a couple of times I think the world's going down a toilet a rate of knots and it's probably going down there via social media mm. and um I think for people to have something to believe in and something to back and, and during that time of Brexit to have that kind of or pre that to kind of have that um something to, to, to really believe in and see sort of, you know, 45 players put their bodies on the line and, and, and fight a very good opposition in quite a hostile environment was was something important. And, and I'm, I'm just really, you know, really touched by it. And I, and I think it, it is weird to be nice because most people are normally throwing bricks at the moment. They seem to be throwing flowers, which is kind of quite nice. Yeah. Um, um, so, but again, you know, you're only as good as your last performance. I haven't played, no doubt. Um, I know that I'll trip some French bloke up or something like that and I'll be back to criminal number one. So it'll be fine. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I just think that performance. I mean, everyone likes to watch skill. It's not. It's nice. It's kind of you know, it's like refined sugar. Uh, people get e uh, get easily addicted to it. And they talk about skills, skills, skills. I think what the most impressive thing was is just the sheer volume of work rate, and that kind of encapsulates that whole tour, which is which is honest work rate. So the best, well, the best thing was that the RFU posted something um, like a stat thing, mm. and they said one tackles. One turnover, something else. <laughs> I got abused by about thirty people saying, "Oh, one turnover, shit. You're not a seven. And I and I said to the RFU, I said, "Listen, I don't want to sound like a dick, but it was four turnovers. I got right. I said, you know, you might want to change. So they, very kindly, they changed it. So I was like, you know, I was able to go listen in your face because I, I, I it had been a good game. But that's what I face all the time. People were like, you're not a seven. You're not this. You're not that. I couldn't give a shit as long as I got the shirt on." And the balance of the back row is good, and we're playing. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I'm interested. What do you consider a seven to be? I know it's a stupid question, but it's so it's so broad. You know, the question is so broad and long. It you know, what exactly does a seven do? Okay, well, so look, 
hopefully this is going to be the defining moment where we can just replay this over and over again anytime anyone asks about seven. Yes, please. Okay, right. We were all spoiled by the fact like we had Peter Winterbottom, we had, you know, Neil Back, we had all those guys, right, who were small, kind of, well, not small, but stocky kind of guys, right, who were, who were strong over the ball. Our, our whole concept is of a small, stocky kind of guy that goes after the ball, that used to fly off the back of a line-out, surge Betson-esque, hit the 10, um, make those destructive tackles, would be a complete nuisance. We all played at school with the, the lunatic seven. So everyone is indoctrinated to think that is what your, se- your seven is. Right, you never get off the line out, you know, unless you literally disregard everything and fly and hit your ten. You ain't ever getting off the, off the scrum and hitting your ten unless he runs a dummy switch and runs himself. You're not having any of those things. So <laughs> that that whole mentality of of that kind of stuff is is completely changed. Your seven is whatever the other back row players don't do in terms of the balance. So, so you know, you need to have a balanced back row. You need to have guys that offer something different, each of you, but all collectively do something well. So, you know, in England, Eddie wants a seven to be an destructive tackler who causes problems at the breakdown, who, who's, you know, the, the guy that can get into the wide channel to clear the rucks, right? He doesn't need, it doesn't need, he doesn't want or need a seven who spends all his time competing on the ball. Now, you know, you've got some guys who have a remit to go. So when I played like for the Highlanders, when I played against Richie McCall, they told me, listen, it's a seven. Just deal with Richie. Run, run around, wherever he is, run around and deal with him, right? Some coaches wouldn't allow that because you've got to fit into a defensive system. You've got to, you've got to, you've got a role to play. So, you know, like when we played Australia, I, I, I remember taking Pokop out one breakdown and then Hooper came in at the other breakdown. And then, I, you know, I would deal with him and Pocock popped up. It's not my job as a seven to run around looking after their seven, contrary to what people people think. You know, so people said, oh, he's outplayed you today. It's like, look, if if the other lads aren't clearing up, the clear, making the clear outs and doing it efficiently, then the, the bloke competing for the ball is always going to shine. So my thing with a seven is, is someone that is first and foremost a good tackler, first and foremost has got a good work rate and suits the needs of the team. So a seven that would play... You know, I watched hours and hours and hours of Richie McCall play, right? And he, you know, he was he played a link man, but he was he was a it was a big carrier for yeah. New Zealand, and he was very disruptive at the breakdown. You know, he yes, he got over the ball very well, but you'd arguably say that Poker got over the ball more. What you would say Richie did was every breakdown he went into, he had five or six options at his disposal, whether that was to counter up, kick the ball out, fall the wrong side, cause two or three of their players to go in, and then he would bounce back out into the defensive line. That's what he did well. Right, you know, you've got other guys who are purely, you know, who who go very well over the ball because they've got the remit by their coaches to go and do that. If I threw myself into every breakdown, which I did a couple of times um, under, uh, you know, under other coaches, they, they, they come in and look at you and go, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm trying to get ball, complete the ball." He goes, "Well, you're just throwing yourself in. You're wasting yourself at every single breakdown." So you kind of, as a seven, you have to see what's what's in front of you and what you're allowed to do because a lot of times, if you're tall like me you end up doing stuff in the line out. So you don't find yourself running off the tail or you don't find yourself as the, the, um, the, you know, the first man to that first breakdown, but people forget that. So like, oh, you know, you'll be beating the breakdown. Well, I'm not being beat the breakdown. I'm not in the fucking breakdown. I'm, I'm, you know, over here. So there's so many little nuances that go with it, but I wish people would just dispel this whole thing about what a seven is. Cause it's a load of crap. Like it's got to do with, if you're playing with, you know, you can't play three billies, because you'd have, you know, they'll be fighting for carries. They've got unbelievable work rates, but you, you know, you, you won't wouldn't necessarily have the people making the tackles. You can't play three of me because you wouldn't have the, you know, the, maybe the the, the, oh, the finesse or whatever you wanted. You know, it, it's about getting the guys that do the the the, the, 
the right jobs and bring different points of difference. And if they do that, they then their other skills are up to that level. So you ideally want three carriers in your back row with a guy who has a you know an opportunity over the ball. But if you're tackling low, so if you're a good tackler, you then open opportunities for you know, like say Dan Cole to get on the ball and Billy's got very good at the ball and Robbo gets on the ball, you know, and Marrow gets on the ball. It's, it's, it's all about the balance of the pack, I believe, and what the coach wants from you and how they play you in the team. And I think that's, that's really important. So I think a seven, as I said, it's a multi-skilled player, but it all depends on so many factors that people just lose their mind. And coaches in the know and people in the know understand it. It appears that the media and 90% of the public have no idea what it is, and they all imagine I should look like Neil Back. Well, no, and you've got to remember, you said, you know, strong over the ball. Strong over the ball did not exist until George Smith showed up. Prior to that, yeah. it was dive on balls, occasionally hit, um, occasionally hit the 10. So it, it, yeah. it, it's all um, uh, cyclical anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So who would you say in England is most like you as a seven? Come on, JB, I'm completely unique. There's nobody like me. Um, um, who would I say is like me? Um, that is a good question. Um, I think I think Dave Ewers is a little bit similar to me in terms of. I mean, again, I'm a bit of a weird, a weird mix because of. I mean, I don't I haven't run for ages, but you know, I always pride myself on having a high fitness level, so. Um, you know, for, for being about you know, 118, 119 kilos and, and be, having a good fitness level um, was a little bit different. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't honestly know really. I think guys, there's, there's plenty of people who have different skill sets. You know, like obviously with the World Cup stuff, you know, Tom Woods, very good, you know, very good aerially, um, very good work rate around the field, um, you know, uh, can be strong with the ball, quite a disruptive player when it comes to breakdown. You know, not necessarily... Uh, he gets on the ball with a breakdown, but he's much more disruptive. You know, Callum Clark's strong on the ball, you know, not not as big a disruptive tackler. Um, you know, then you've got Matt Kavezic, who is actually a good carrier, but, you know, very strong on the ball, not that destructive tackler. Um, you know, you've got Dave viewers is kind of a bit of a combination of everything. You've got Nathan, who's becoming more of a destructive tackler, but a very strong ball carrier. You've got Billy, who kind of does all three very well. Um you know, I think, you know, Josh Beaumont you have as a slightly looser player, but again, you know, a strong ball carrier. Um, I'm trying to think. Sam Jones is probably the nearest kind of player, I'd say, to me um, in terms of what I, what I would, you know, I would say in terms of, you know, how he hits people, um, how he gets on the ball um, occasionally and, and how he carries. I'd say he's more of my mould of a player, really. Yeah, which is a shame, actually, because obviously he was crocked playing judo. Which, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my way around of saying who is going to play seven for England come the, come the Autumn Internationals. So, unfortunately, you picked Dave Ewers, who's injured, and Sam Jones. So, thanks, James. So, I, I, think, I think, you know, what, what will happen again is the balance will shift again in terms of what you, what you do. So, you then look at other positions in, in, you know, in terms of who you pick as your second rows, who you pick as some of the other members of the back row, and then you give them other jobs. You know, that's what... Eddie and Guzzi and Waters are very good at it. They'll, they'll speak to other players and say, right, listen, I need you to step up and do this. Or, you know, we need you to have that venom. You know, if you play um, Courtney, you know, Courtney came on in that third test and was, he's a very destructive tackler. Mm. You know, that out, you know, Billy's a, a destructive tackler. Um, you have kind of have that balance. It's about rejigging some of the players to give you some options. I mean, I, you know, I, I lost out on a lot of caps because 
apparently I'm not very good in the line out or, or, or um, they preferred other line out options where I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong to define your team by your, you know, your certain set piece attributes. You can't put a complete loose cannon there, but if you've got people that you can manage, but also bring other, other more important things, then I think that's, I think that's the balance. So no doubt they'll find someone there. I mean, I'm really excited to see, to see what happens. I think it's great. Woody's back in the mix. I texted him to, today, or well, I'm not sure when this goes out, but I texted him today. Um, you know, I, I'm really excited to see if Nathan gets an opportunity. I think Billy's unbelievable. I love playing with him. Robbo, you know, I think Robbo's been fantastic. I think he, you know, he is, um, you know, his work rate and his kind of dedication are, are second to none. You know, he adds a, he adds a, um, a good balance, you know, in terms of that, you know, that, that kick chasing that, you know, he gets on the ball and get you some key turnovers. He has an, unstop, you know, unworkable, sorry, unbreakable work rate. He, um, picks up works very around the, you know, well around the fringes. So all that stuff kind of will balance itself out. I don't know what will happen, but it'll be interesting to see who he goes with in other positions. Mm. Uh, who, who would you like to see, uh, fill in at seven? Nobody. I'd like. I'd like the whole game to stop until I come back fit. I think that's very, very, very wise. Uh, how is the toe out of interest? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's um, getting there. It's slow. Um, it's taking its time. They said four to six months. I think. Hopefully, I'll be back in the middle of December. Um, you know, it's all been repaired, so it's good. It's just a bit of you know pain management at the moment and building back up to running. Mm. Um, you know, and and it's just it's, it's just things like that going well i mean i'm taking each day at a time i haven't looked at the bigger picture luckily when i was out in japan i missed out on some england stuff and i've been injured before and i, I discovered the world didn't end um because as a player you know when you haven't been involved you think the whole place is gonna be a nightmare so i'm kind of trying to not get too excited about the england stuff or try to get too bogged down you know my, my priority is literally get back to to running see how that goes get an opportunity to play for wasp see if i can get myself in the wasp team probably can't at the moment and um and then we'll go from there. And once that's done, you know, wasps go well, you know, you, you show Eddie what you can do and then you get an opportunity in the squad. Then you have to train your ass off in the squad and then you get, you know, you, you get an opportunity to pull the white shirt on and then, you know, you're only as good as, only good as that performance. And if you don't play well, you're never seen again. So it's just the, the roller coaster that is the professional rugby. Yeah, I, I've got to say, when I heard that James Haskell had hurt a body part, which is encapsulated in leather for the most yes. part, I was quite shocked that you're still out until December. So can you give me a little bit of background about exactly what it is that you've done? Yeah, yeah. So, every, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can imagine how many raised eyebrows I've had and how many tough men I've had going, oh, it's only your toe. Get on with your toe. Are you like David Hay? I'm like, okay, lads. Listen, if I could get on with it, I would be doing it. So basically, you've got two little bones under your big toe called your sesamoid bones. These are very small, fiddly bones. Lots of people get um, issues with them they're very difficult to, to to fix i broke one so mine split in half oh. and obviously attached to that is is tendons and ligaments i think i had broken it a year or so ago and i was playing on it and my toe would be fine then it gets sore and it got sore and sore and sore and after the six nations game against um france i think i twisted it a bit and it got worse and i came back and i obviously saw at the end of the season it was getting, getting sort of you know having more problems with it i had a couple of injections into it that didn't help and then i played the last five six games of the season with anesthetic in that toe mm-hmm. um and i played eddie kind of managed me when i was over there and you know the physio team did a you know did a good job and basically wheeled me out for those first two tests and then the second test i thought a stud had gone through my boot at about 60 minutes and i thought i, I shouted i need new boots I need new boots and they brought new boots on turned out it wasn't stud it was the fact that i'd 
ruptured the tendon and the plantar plate, so there was a hole in my foot oh. or in, within 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 the, within the the muscle structure. Um, and Eddie had just brought the message on going, I need a big ten minutes from you, and I was like, no, <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I tried, but I couldn't run at all. So uh, that was it, really. And then I saw the surgeon. He was like, yeah, you've definitely ruptured it. And the problem is, you know, without it being dramatic, it's one of those things that if it doesn't go right, you might have to start looking at other ways to, to gain employment. So it's all it's all repaired. It's just one of those things, getting back slowly, building up to it. You can't rush it, but it's, it's, um, it is quite a serious thing, really. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned injuries. And this is probably uh, the, uh, the last question I ask you before you go off and write books and do some social media and all the rest of it. But Okay. Talking to you uh, before the podcast, it's clear you've got a load of thing, things on. Uh, I've seen you doing things uh, outside of rugby. Uh, I've seen you do the UFC commentary. In fact, you know, of, of all the players I've interviewed so far, it seems that you've got a real focus on what's going to happen after rugby. With that in mind, yeah. does all the concussion stuff um, affect you in terms of is it worth the risk when you've got so much else going for you and you're at this stage, st- stage, stage of your career now? What with a concussion? I, w- I wouldn't remember whether it was good enough, would I? Um, exactly. No, I think um, I think look, it, it is serious. My priority in love is rugby. Mm. It always has been. I don't care what anyone anyone says. You know, doing stuff outside of rugby brings balance to rugby. Anyone who lives and breathes rugby is extremely boring. Um, well, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. Anyone who plays and lives and breathes rugby is extremely boring. You need to be a rounded person. Um, injury and risk and, you know, whatever, like every other walk of life and everything else, you know, you get hit by the old adage, you get hit by a bus, anything can happen. Um, you know, you saw what happened to, you know, sadly to, to Foley the other day, you know, 42 years old, you, you just don't know. So the, so the thing for me is that I, I'm lucky enough to do what I love. If, you know, my toe doesn't heal and, and I was getting concussion, I had to finish, that's fine. Obviously, you know, I wear a scrum cap, people try to do the best thing they can. I think... You know, I think the percussion has still got a way to go to getting it right. You know, I think that, you know, the much of it is taken out of players' hands is um, important because like any player, you always want to play and want to carry on. Um, and people are quite stubborn and, and we don't ever want to have a case where, you know, people are, are lying to get themselves back on the field. I think everything's got to be in, within reason. We play a contact sport. And there was all that nonsense about banning tackling in some schools. No, don't ban tackling. Teach kids to tackle properly. Exactly. Can you think of anything more dangerous than... 30 grown men, or I say 30, say 21-year-olds tackling for the first time. Exactly. Teach people to do it for the first time. Teach people to ha- how to do it properly. Build into it. You know, you know, don't become, you know, like everything in life, everything's become sort of so weird and PC and like over the top. Right? You need a bit of common sense. And listen, unfortunately, someone's going to get injured along the way. Someone's going to get hurt, right? You can't legislate for that, so don't try to do it. Do the best job you can do, which is teach people to tackle properly. Um, you know, if kids want to encourage kids to wear head guards, that's fine. I, I, rate, I rate a head guard. I, you know, I, I, you know, touch wood, I haven't had a concussion. Um, really? No, no. You don't think you've ever had a concussion? I mean, if you ask my missus, she'd probably say I've had a few concussions, but no, um, I uh, never had one. Really? How interesting. Uh, I've hit people and got. I mean, again, this is so my 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 friend Kevin, who's a uh, top physio, always reminds me that technically this is a concussion. But I've got up and hit people where I've got up and like gone to run forward and I've like done a few steps sideways. But I've never lost consciousness. I've never forgotten anything. I've never had any memory loss. I've never had anything like that. So, so you know, um, 
I, I think they play a role in stuff like that. I think they will, the sports science behind things is, is fine. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, it is worth the risk at this point, but you know, at some point you have to look at it. And I think for some people with kids and everything else like that, you just have to be very careful. Um, and I, but I think everything's being done at the moment to, to look after players. And I think the RPA do a great job. Yeah. And I think, is doing more outside of rugby and getting, you know, making sure that players get the insurance and making sure these shitty insurance companies actually pay out and look after the players and the player welfare and, and people not begrudging guys for earning money because, you know, it's all well and good bollocking someone while they're playing, but, you know, where you, you, you they're not going to be funding the bloke when he's got to find a new job at 31, is he? Like we've all got to do. You know, if I retire tomorrow, I don't earn enough money off the field to, to, to not work. I'd have to go out and find something else to do. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure you'd find plen- plenty of stuff to do, James. Hopefully DJing, JB, just to piss you off. And what I'd like to do is make you sit through one of my gigs as oh, well. Right. You probably- I, 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 don't, I don't think I could. I don't think, I, I think I'd feel too awkward. I, I just don't, I don't like the thing of everyone enjoying themselves at the same time. I, I can't do it. No, well, I, 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 would, I would force you to do it. And if I caught you dancing in any way, shape or form, you'd have to pay some sort of Do you know fine. what? I think that's probably why I hate it so much, because I'm so shit at dancing. Well, I'll tell you what you should do, but why don't you, right, why don't you, get, I've got a SoundCloud, why don't you secretly just listen to a few of my things if you're working out in the gym or sitting in a car, no one's around, you can just see what you like, just try it, just try it once, see if you like it, and then, and then you know, just make an informed decision, that's the best thing. Yeah, but what if I do? What if I but do like it? It'd be a secret, like, like R. White's, be a secret lemonade drinker, be a secret DJ lover. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, I, I'll, look, I'll look into it. How, how about you mix me um, a intro for Egg Chasers? You can definitely do that, right? Yeah, I can do. But it depends, depends what kind of tunes we need. Like what, what, what? I'll, I'll have a look. I'll have a look and see what I can do. I mean, what kind of vibe you are you after? Oh, don't even ask me about vibes. I have no idea about vibes. I, I, oh. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. Okay, because I haven't met you, right? Are you a typical rugby fan who turns up in like um, combat trout with like pockets, like combat? <laughs> and do you wear? Gore-Tex or wear the shoes to, to rugby games? No, never. Never, Are ever. You, just because, like, like if you looked at, if you took a photograph of a cross-section of the shoes that go to Twickenham games, there's a lot of jeans and shoes, which means you, I, jeans. You put me onto that Twitter account. I absolutely love it. I know. Jean, my, my girlfriend actually put me onto it. She was like, because I wore them once, and she was like, oh, jeans and shoes. And I was like... What is this? I, I followed them. That was amazing. Um, I, but we always, the boys laugh about it because you then get people wearing the Gore-Tex all-weather shoes. Um, and most of them sometimes have a, a Leatherman clipped to their waist. Um, oh. for, and then, yeah, th- those are my normal things. So poor shoe etiquette or, and they're the people who are quite opinionated people. Now the world of social media means that they're all one step closer. Yeah. It's a bit concerning. It's, it's like pushing back the zombie hordes. It is, it is, it is. But, but then, you know, well, I would say it wouldn't if we didn't have amazing fans and everything else. It would be uh, not a great sport to play because the atmosphere makes everything you know worthwhile. Um, I would say that I wish people would spend more, less time online commenting and more time cheering. The one and only job of a fan, mm. like a, a fan's job, is not to critique a player. It is not to come up into someone in the bar, which happened to me a number of times. Tell me that you pay fifty pounds a ticket. And you can share your opinion with me because I don't care. Um, but what you should do is just focus on being an awesome fan, cheering really loudly, singing some songs, and you know, talk about your friends in the pub. Don't don't tweet me that you think I'm shit because if I had a shit game, I know I had a shit game. I don't need you, you know, Joe Bloggs from number thirty-five Wisteria Lane to tell me. But to clarify, if you had a good game, definitely tweet that. Um, 
No, I think, you know, just a little nod of approval, just a tip of the cap, sir, would be would be nice. I don't, I don't think I need a tweet, really. Just, just if you cheer really loudly and have a good day, that's all that really matters, I think. Yeah, I, I, I don't really disagree with that. I think it's quite a sensible position, actually. Oh, we agree on something, then. Huzzah. James, can I just say, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I know you're, you're extremely busy, and I um, assume you're off to write a book now or do some emailing or something. But thank you so, thank you so much for, for spending the time coming on, and hopefully we can all hear you again at some point on Egg Chasers. It's, do I qualify now? I feel this was like a pre-interview qualification for Egg Chasers. Oh, it's it's quite the opposite, actually. You've got, usually, you've got to go through Egg Chasers to get to Rugby Dungeon, but it was such a big deal that we thought, yeah, straight oh, in. Big time. I know what you're thinking. Rugby player first. No, actually, uh, international man of mystery. Exactly, uh, mate. So, uh, and, we're, and we're off Facebook Live now, so uh, we, we can say say what we want. Mate, that was no. that was absolutely spot on. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. No problem, mate. Anytime, anytime. And um, come to a Wasp game if you want. Just let me know which one you want to come to and I'll sort you out some tickets. Oh, superb. Uh, I think, you know, strangely enough, I'm going to Bath Wasps. So uh, if I could catch up with you, that, that, that'd be yeah. superb. No problem, mate. No problem. Just make sure you pack those Gore-Tex shoes, yeah? <laughs> I'll be wearing boot cuts just for you, mate. Amazing. Cheers, pal. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Well, there we go. We've just interviewed the Hask, which was pretty cool. Thank you for listening. Um, why don't you return the favour to James by going onto his site, jameshaskell.com. That's the James Haskell Health and Fitness site. Have a look at what's on offer there. Why don't you also follow him on Instagram and Twitter? He's easy enough to find, so I won't give you the handles. And also leave us a review on iTunes if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Now, I've got to say a massive, massive sorry to another podcast called the Craggy Island Podcast. This is a tremendous little podcast that comes out of Ireland. I say little, it won't be little for much longer. And they follow the endeavours of Connacht. We interviewed them last Tuesday. And I was meant to put it up in this slot now, but unfortunately when I went to upload it, it would seem that I've either deleted the file or I never recorded it in the first place. It is on Facebook Live, so if you want to visit that, you can do. Really fascinating. They even go into when they went to Russia to watch, uh, guess what, to to watch a British team go over to NSI and actually win a game. So they've got that they've got that story and many others. That's on Facebook Live. And also, big sorry to people who tried to watch Facebook Live today, 25,000 of you, I might add, and didn't get to watch it because I've got some new kit and the sound didn't go on. So you've just got a hour video of me talking into a microphone with no sound. I get it. I'm not great at Facebook Live yet, but it is coming along and we are making some sort of progress. I will see you next Sunday with Egg Chasers, again on Facebook Live and on the podcast. And in the meantime, if you want to go and visit any of our sponsors, Field and Flower or uh, Cornerstone Razors or Beer 52, please do that. It'd be much appreciated and just keeps this whole project going, which we are very much enjoying. So I will see you next week. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>